The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Pure religion has nothing to do with ceremonies. It has nothing to do with temples. It has nothing to do with special days. It has nothing to do with buildings. Uh, Pure religion means practicing God's Word and sharing it. It's literally what God's telling us here in the Word of God, that pure religion is practicing the Word of God, and it's sharing it with others. And we talked about that last week in in the practice of the Word of God. Uh, We can hear the Word of God, but if we don't do anything about what we hear, what good does it do us in the Christian life besides us just deceiving ourselves? And practically speaking tonight, we're going to look at just three things from this passage of Scripture and how uh, religion or the pure religion that the Bible's talking about here teaches us to share, if you would, the Word of God with other people. Uh, how many, uh, somebody, uh, you got saved, somebody shared the gospel with you? Somebody did. Somebody, anybody like that? Just raise your hand. Somebody shared the gospel with you. So you had that. Uh, how many uh, you in a uh, church service, you accepted Christ as your Savior? Somebody preached the gospel and you heard that? Okay. Uh, how many was like one-on-one? Somebody came to you? Or, okay. So a couple people like that, one-on-one. How many read a gospel track? You read a gospel? Okay. So we have some, some like that. I know some folks that read the Bible in a hotel room and diff- different things and God reached and, uh, and uh, impacted others. But we understand that God's Word is supposed to be shared with others. We're not supposed to just keep it to ourselves. God tells us we're supposed to share it uh, with other people. And the first way that we can share the Word of God or have pure religion is in our speech. In our speech. If you see in verse number 26, what does it say about a man's religion being vain? It says, If any man among you seem to be, what? Religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And there's many references to conversation, to speech in the book of James, and it gives us the impression uh, really here uh, that not just uh, what we say, but tongues uh, was a serious problem in the, in, in the assembly here, but also that uh, the tongue in itself, uh, because James talks about the tongue later on as being a, 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 a kindles a fire, it can hurt, it can it can uh, destroy other people. So apparently, as James is speaking to uh, this congregation here, uh, there were people in church that had problems controlling their tongue. Could you imagine that, that people would have a problem with that? I mean, uh, we've never had that problem, though, right? Just everybody else. We're preaching to people that are not here tonight. We never had a problem bridling our tongue, have we? No, we all, you know, have to learn. The Bible says that we can, we can share the Word of God with others, and if we don't bridle our tongue, if we don't, if we don't make sure that our speech is good to the use of edifying, is seasoned with salt, is what the Bible says that a Christian speech should be, then we can do, undo everything that we're trying to do, if you would, in pure religion with people. In a sense of you can, you can act a certain way, but when you open your mouth and you say some things, and people hear the Bible says, have the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaketh. And uh, it's interesting what people say sometimes and what comes up out of the well sometimes and uh, apparently this church, and James is a pastor here, he's, he's instructing some people that had some problems with their speech, with what they said, with controlling their tongue. And it's the tongue, the Bible says, that reveals the heart. What we say reveals our heart condition. And uh, you, ought to, you ought to think about what you say before you say it, right? Isn't that a good rule of thumb? 
Anybody? You know, that's a good rule of thumb, right? Think before you speak. And uh, some people, they say, I have no, I have no brain-to-mouth filter. You know, it doesn't work. Uh, and, and really, that's not the case. All of us do that. And as a matter of fact, a fruit of the Spirit of God is what? Self-control. And that includes a control of our tongue. The Bible says bridleth. In other words, there's a need for us to have a controller over our tongue. Now, who's supposed to be the controller of our lives? The Spirit of God is. And so when it comes to your tongue or any other part of your body, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is supposed to have control of that area of your life. And so if you have a problem with your tongue, you need to submit that area of your life. And by the way, we know that it's not the organ of our tongue, but it's really the use of you know, our speech uh, that we're talking about because uh, it's what we say, the words that come out of our mouth, it's the problem. And so if the heart is right, the speech will be right. If the heart is right, the speech will be right. If, if I have a, a heart that's right with God, the words that I say are going to show and reveal that. If I don't have a heart that's right with God, my words are going to reveal. You know, uh, sometimes uh, we reveal the anger of our hearts with our words. Sometimes we reveal the bitterness of our hearts with our words. Sometimes we reveal a lack of forgiveness in our hearts with our words. Uh, Sometimes we reveal pettiness in our hearts or a lack of spiritual maturity in our hearts uh, with our words. Sometimes we can reveal the joy of the Lord with our hearts, can't we? We can can reveal the love of Christ that's shed abroad in our hearts uh, by the words that we say. And so is not speech important? What you say is important. Now, it's not just about what we say, but it's also about what we do. And that brings in this second area when it comes to sharing the Word of God. It's not just with our words. Do you need to share the Word of God with your words? You do. Uh, But the second area is our service, our service. Look at uh, verse number uh, 27 tonight. The Bible says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Now, in the uh, early church, the ministry specifically to those that were widows and afflicted was the job of the deacons in the church. As a matter of fact, it's why they chose men in the early church to be that, because their job was to serve widows. They were to serve the needy. They were to serve those that had a need. They were to be involved in service. The word deacon literally means servant. It's the position, it's the title, it's the role of that in the church. And by the way, all of us in our lives are supposed to serve others. After we've seen ourselves, as we talked about last week, and Christ in the mirror of the word, we're supposed to then see others and their needs. Uh, if I only, uh, if I never see myself for what I am and I don't make the corrections that the Bible shows, I'll never see the needs of others because constantly what's going to be revealed to me is the things that I need to change in my life before I can serve someone else. How many know that there's qualifications for service when it comes to the Word of God? In other words, if I'm going to serve others, I've got to be qual- spiritually qualified to do that. If I'm going to counsel someone else, I've got to be spiritually qualified to do that. If I'm going to help someone else, Well, I've got to get help for myself first and make sure that I'm spiritually qualified to do that. And so we've got to go to the Word of God and get what we need and make sure that we're qualified spiritually to help others. But the the truth of the matter is, is Isaiah saw the Lord first, and then he saw himself, and then he saw the people 
who he would minister. Go to Isaiah chapter number 6. And I want you to see this here in the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 6 and uh, verse 1 through 8. Very practical tonight, and that's the point. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and uh, verse number 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also who? The Lord. First thing he saw was the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I. So he saw the Lord, and then when he saw the Lord, he saw himself for who he was. He said this in verse number 5, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In this passage of Scripture, we see that he saw the Lord, and then he saw himself, and then he saw others. Notice it says in verse number 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I what? Send. And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. So God calls Isaiah into service, into preaching uh, to others, into helping others, into uh, being used as a mouthpiece for God. And we see that calling here, but he first had to see God, and then he had to see himself for what he was, and then uh, he saw the needs of other people and how he could fill them. Boy, that's the path uh, to service and to ministry is for us to first examine ourselves and to see ourselves for what we are before the Lord. Hey, when we compare ourselves to God, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. In compared to God, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. That's that comparison that uh, Paul makes in the book of Romans for us. And uh, we've got to see ourselves first and then, uh, or see the Lord and then see ourselves for what we are. And we see here that he, he saw that and who he would minister. Words are no substitute for deeds of love. Go back to James and look at chapter number 2 and uh, look at verse number 14. James chapter number 2 and verse number 14. We said our speech, but then we said our service. The Bible says in James two fourteen, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? He said, if you, if you see someone that has a need, and they need clothing and they need food, and you say, Hey, God bless you. Be warmed and be filled. And you have the ability to meet that need. The Bible says you have not done what you should have done. You're supposed to meet the needs of someone that has a need that God's revealed to you. And, and God doesn't want us to substitute uh, uh, our, our words for our actions. 
God does not want us to pay for others to minister as a substitute for our own personal service either. You say, what do you mean? Well, when it comes to the church, sometimes some people have that attitude. They say, well, I give the offering plate, so that means I don't have to serve. I give, so that that negates me from service because I'm going to pay someone else to serve. I'm going to pay someone else to work. I'm going to pay someone else to do what I should do. You cannot pay someone else to do what you should do as a Christian. All of us as Christians are supposed to serve the Lord. And by the way, we're supposed to do it with gladness. And uh, when it comes to sharing the Word of God, uh, there's an effect in our speech and there's an effect in our service. And then let's look back at James chapter 1 and verse number 27. And we'll look at the uh, back part of verse number 27. The Bible says, The pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and the widows in their affliction, and to what? To keep himself unspotted from the world. The first way we said is speech, and the second way is service. The third way is separation. Separation. And the Bible teaches that here when it comes to a pure uh, religion or uh, a, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that's taking action or, or taking root in the way that we uh, live our lives. It's our belief system. And by the world, James is talking about a society being without God. Satan, the Bible says, is the prince of this world. Remember this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world, and uh, the world is something that we're not supposed to love, and it's not talking about the same world. God loved the people. And the system of this world is the system that the the Bible says the devil is the prince of the power of this air. And then he tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are what? In the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not the same world from John 3.16. He's talking about people that have pushed God out of society as being without God. Godlessness. And, And people that say, I don't want God. I don't want, I've rejected God. And the Bible says we're not to be in love with that kind of uh, society. We're supposed to be separate. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not uh, the unclean thing. And uh, the lost are the children of this world. And as the children of God, we're in the world physically, but we're not of the world spiritually. We're sent into the world to win others to Christ. And so what's our purpose of being in the world? Not to fall in love with it. Our purpose of being in the world is not to enjoy the same things that everybody else in the world enjoys. Our purpose of being in the world is to win the world to Christ. That's our purpose for being here in the world. And that's why God's placed us here physically into this world. We are sent into the world to win others to Christ. Look at John chapter number 17. Go back to the gospel of John and look at John chapter number 17 tonight and uh, verse number 18. Everybody all right tonight? All right, that was promising. All right, John chapter 17. Wake the person up next to you, please. All right, John chapter 17. The Bible says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent what? So he's, he's saying, even, even as I also sent them into the world. Who's them? That's us. The Bible says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. So he's telling us that God sent him into the world to what? Not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And as the Father sent him, he sent us. So what's that tell us? Has he sent us into the world to condemn the world? No. He sent us into the world that the world, through Christ, through the message of Christ, through the gospel of Christ, 
might be saved. So as the Father sent the Son, the Son sent those He saved. That's what the Bible's teaching us there in the passage of Scripture. So why are we here in the world? We're here in the world not to be inundated with the philosophies of this world, not to love the practices and the culture of this world, not to get uh, so engrossed in the world that uh, there's no difference between us that are saved and those that are lost. That's what the Bible... The Bible's teaching that we're in the world, we're not of the world, and we're sent into the world with a purpose of bringing people to Christ. And so our purpose of being here in the world. And so here's the question tonight when it comes to pure religion. Are you practicing in the world that you're living the purpose for which God placed you in the world? Because if you're in the world God, and God's placed you in the world for the purpose of winning the world to Christ, if you're not doing anything about that, then you're not fulfilling the purpose for which you're here. And we can't pay anybody else to do that. And it's not just for a certain segment group of Christians. The Bible says if you want to live out pure religion, you're going to visit the poor, visit the fatherless, the widows in their affliction. And then it says we're going to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And that's going to involve a separation from the world. It's going to keep us connected in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ the way that we should. It's only as we maintain our separation from the world that we can serve others. Get this. If you get involved in your life with the sins of this world, you're going to cancel out, disqualify yourself from service to others. So the only way that I can serve others is if I keep myself unspotted from the world. That's what the Bible teaches. So in order for me to be a servant of the Lord, I've got to be unspotted. Does not the Bible tell us that uh, uh, the qualifications of pastor, the first one is that he would be blameless? That, that means having no spot, having no blemish, not in a sense of being perfect, but in a sense of the, the lifestyle being lived is one that's not trying to look like the world. I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining a distance. I'm maintaining the purpose for which God has sent me here or placed me here into this world. And so the world wants to spot the Christian and to start to defile him. First, in James 4, 4, the Bible talks about a friendship of the world. A friendship of the world. Listen, you'll never follow, fall in love with someone that you won't befriend first. And if we're not to love the world, then you're not to befriend the world either. So the Bible teaches. And uh, if I'm going to not fall in love with the world, then I've got to not be the friend. The Bible tells us that we're not to be a friend of the world. Go look at James chapter 4 and verse number 4. We'll stay right in the book of James. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. This is heavy, heavy conversation here. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the what? The friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, don't get me wrong here. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus a friend of sinners? Yes, he was. Did Jesus eat with publicans and sinners? Yes, he did. Did Jesus converse with them? Did he talk with them? Yes, he did. Did he fellowship with them? Yes, he did. But what was the purpose of that fellowship? What was the purpose of that interaction? The purpose of all of that is that he would win them. By the way, that's the purpose of our friendship. If you're you're creating a friendship with someone that's lost, the purpose is to win them to Christ. And you've got to understand that or you're going to fall in love with the wrong thing. Because the Bible teaches us that when it comes to this world, 
The friendships that we're supposed to create, relationships that we're supposed to create, are supposed to draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be friendly to everybody, by the way. Because I think that the extreme of this is what I've seen in Christianity is that Christians who, who again, go to bomb shelter mentality and say, we cut off, we don't, we don't talk to people. Listen, uh, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. That's, that's Hasidic Judaism. That, that's not Christianity. Where uh, they're, we're, we're God's people and they're not, and we're not going to touch them, talk to them, be involved with them. As a matter of fact, we're going to live in our own little world, and, and they're not going to have any interaction. We're not going to have any interaction. That's not what God did. God placed us among them, did He not? God put us right in the center of everyone. God's, God's put you in the, in the middle, whatever job you have, you're, you're around unbelievers. God doesn't want you not to talk to unbelievers. God wants us to model the, the, the life that Jesus Christ did when it came to lost people. But we have, it comes an understanding of knowing why I'm doing it. In other words, I'm not doing it to gain friendships, to just have a bunch of friends so I have buddies to hang out with. The point of this is that I'm going to befriend people or be friendly towards people so that I can win them to Christ. By the way, that really changes the whole purpose for which I make friends. Because usually people make friends with people who they think will either be like or they have things in common with that person or it's someone they share an interest with. Come on, this is how people make friends in the world. It, and uh, or somebody that can do something for them or something that has done, somebody who has done something for them. It's why people make friends. But that's not why we make friends as Christians. When it comes to making friends, I, I was standing across from a, 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 a young man today and I was talking to him just for a few minutes. And, and you know what? It's just something in, in my heart. And I believe the Holy Spirit just said, you need to be his friend. You need to be his friend. And I thought, I don't want to be his friend. I don't want to be anybody's friend right now. I'm tired. I'm busy. I got stuff to do. And I don't have time to have any. I got, Lord, I got enough friends. All right? I have enough friends. And, and I got a church full of friends. And I got a family of friends. And I got people. I don't need any more friends. But you know, the Lord just said, you need to be his friend. So in order for me to be his friend, I had to find out what his name was. I had to find out what, you know, what he did. I had to find, you know, just what you would do to, to make a friend with someone, right? And uh, boy, God just said, hey, you need to be this guy's friend. You know, if we're not thinking of the right kind of friendship, the kind of friendship that God wants us to have with the lost people, you'll never make the right kind of friendships with people. The reason why God wants us to connect with people and to befriend people is so that we can win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the purpose for which he's given us. It involves the separation of being unspotted because I want him to know I'm different. And boy, long enough, if he hangs out, if he, if he, if he talks to me long enough, he's going to know I'm different, just like you know I'm different. And, he know, and by the way, I know you're different too. Come on. Some of you, I'm not different. All right. And uh, we're sent in this world to win others in Christ. It's only as we maintain our separation from the world that we can serve others. First, the Bible talks about warns against a friendship, a friendship of the world, a friendship of the world, which can lead to a love for the world. Look at 1 John chapter number 2. Just a couple books back. 1 John chapter number 2. Verses 15 through 17. Practically speaking, in your Christian life, I'm just trying to help you from the Word of God tonight. 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 15. 
Love not the what? The world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you can't love the world and love God. You can't love the world and have the love of the Father in you. You can't love both. Jesus was clear on that. You can't have, you can't have a love relationship with both. You've got to love one or the other. The Bible tells us, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Having the wrong friendships in the world will lead to a love relationship with the world. And some Christians are ineffective as salt and light in this world because they've befriended the world and now they love the world. And I'm not talking about the right kind of friendships and the right kind of love. I'm talking about the wrong kind of friendships and the wrong kind of love. And now they're spotted and they're defiled and they're involved and they're entrenched and they're addicted to the same things that lost people are addicted to, to the same things that lost people are struggling with. By the way, let me say this tonight. If you have the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit in your life, should you be addicted to the same things that a lost person is addicted to? Should you be entrenched in the same sins that they're entrenched in? Should you not have the answer on how to have victory over those things? Should you not be, be ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within you? Should they see in your life a hope uh, to, to get away from those things, to, to get the victory over those things? And boy, that's what we're, why we're supposed to be different. So that we can provide hope, so that we can provide help. When the thief was on the cross next to Jesus, the one that uh, trusted Christ as his Lord, he knew the difference between him and Jesus. Even though they were in the same predicament, even though they were in the same situation, he knew the difference between Jesus and him. He knew the reason why Jesus was in that situation is because he didn't deserve to be because he hadn't done anything wrong, and he was there because that was Jesus' reputation. We're not to find ourselves alongside of someone that's in this world that's lost, and we're there because for the same reasons that they're there. Because you're not going to be able to help that person. You're not going to be able to be a testimony to that person. You're not going to be able to be a help to that person. I've heard people use uh, uh, verses like being all things to all men as a license to sin. In other words, I've got to be like them in order to impact them. We don't have to be like the world to impact the world. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us we're to be like Christ to impact the world. It's the way to impact the world. As a matter of fact, if we're like the world, the more we're like the world, the less true impact we actually will have. We lose our influence by becoming like the world. We don't gain influence. And by the way, it's because we have a wrong view of what influence is. We have a defiled view of religion instead of a pure view of religion. And our view of religion is that uh, we're going to be like them, and so they're going to want to be like us. Well, when you become like them, you cease to become like Christ, and now you have a problem because you have nothing to offer them that's different. If we're not careful, we'll be, after this, uh, we, we, we become a friend of the world, then we love the world. And the Bible tells us in Romans 12, the next step, and be not conformed to this world. Isn't that the truth? I befriend the world, and then I love the world, and then I'm conformed to this world. The Bible says, and be not conformed to this world, but, 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 but what? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we prove to this world that God's way is the best way? 
Isn't that what good, acceptable, and perfect means when it comes to the will? What does the will of God? It means God's way, right? God's way of doing things. That's God's will. And how do I prove with my life that God's way is the best way? That I may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The only way I can do that is by being transformed. And the way to lose the power to prove that God's way is the best way is by being conformed to this world. That's what the Bible teaches us. But it begins with the wrong kinds of friends. And then it it continues with the wrong kind of love. And then it's completed with the wrong kind of formation, conformation, rather than transformation in the life of a Christian. By the way, the warning here is to Christians because there's a draw for all of us as Christians to befriend the world and to love the world and to be conformed to this world. And if we're not careful, we'll swallow hook, line, and sinker even uh, what people are telling us in religious institutions today that we need to become more and more like the world to have an impact. We do not. We need to become more and more like Jesus to have an impact. Let me ask you a question. Who had a greater impact on people than Jesus? Nobody. Nobody. Jesus, wherever he went, made an impact. Jesus, wherever he went, made a difference. Jesus, wherever he went, listen, nobody had more impact and influence. As a matter of fact, the religious and political rulers of his day were jealous of his influence and impact. People wanted to be with Jesus. It's interesting because did Jesus ever condone or allow or say that sin was okay? He didn't. As a matter of fact, he condemned it and said it was wrong. But yet people flocked to him. Why? Because they knew that it was wrong. Because he was telling them the truth. And that's what people, listen, people want to hear the truth. Uh, We had a a new uh, visitor today in church, and on the way out, uh, he said to me, he said, Pastor, keep telling the truth. I'm tired of going to churches and not hearing it. Just keep telling the truth. And by, by, you know what, that was an, I said to him, I said, you know, that's such an encouragement to me, because sometimes you get up and, and speak the truth, and you got nothing but blank faces to look at, no responses, and you think, nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody, and by the way, don't you think that as your pastor, I don't have voices in my head and whispering in my ear, you need to stop saying it. Say something else. Say another message. Do something else. This morning we talk about confronting sin. That's not easy to talk about. But everybody needs to be confronted with it because sin kills. Does it not? It destroys. The result from being conformed to the world is being condemned with the world. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And I've got to hurry tonight. Look at verse number 32. We said, the Bible says not to be a friend of the world or love the world or be conformed to the world. But 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 32. 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. When we are judged, the Bible tells us we're going to be judged. When we are judged, it's pointed out the man wants to die and after this is judgment. We're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Many Christians sometimes scratch their head. They get saved. They trust Christ as their Savior. And they 
and then they find out that they're miserable when they sin. Or they get chastened when they sin. And then, come on, they look at the world and say, well, everybody else is doing this. Why, why are they having fun? Why am, I, why am I having such a hard time? Because you're not going to be condemned with the world. And whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And if you're a Christian, you can't live happy and have peace in this world and be in sin. You can't. It's not possible for a Christian to do. You're going to be miserable in this life because the truth of the matter is, is you're not going to be miserable in the life to come. Aren't you glad that as a Christian, you're not going to be condemned with the world? You're not going to face judgment for your sin. You're going to be judged for how you lived your life for the Lord. We're going to be judged for how we stewarded the life that God gave us and what we did with our life and how we used our time and how we used our talents and how we used our energies to serve the Lord. It doesn't suggest that we lose our salvation, but rather that we lose all that we've lived for. One day, if you're a friend of the world in the sense of just to have friends, and then you love the world and you're conformed to this world, you're going to be condemned with the world in a sense you're going to have nothing to show for how you lived your life. That's what the Bible's talking about. Some people, they're going to get to heaven and have nothing to show for their Christian life. I believe after that point in time is when God's going to wipe away all tears because some people are going to be sad, regretful on how they chose to spend their time on this earth, how they chose to live their life as a Christian. I don't know about you, but every once in a while I'll get broken over my lack of passion when it comes to the lost. Get broken over it. Anybody else? You with me tonight? Because sometimes I don't have the passion that I should about winning people to Christ. And I, you know what? I hope God keeps breaking my heart about it. Because I don't want to ever get to the point where I'm okay with it. Are you with me? I mean, we ought to get broken over our lack of passion for winning the lost to Christ. Because they're dying and going to hell, and we have the answer, and we're too busy to tell them. We're too busy living in our world, our own little world, that we're not fulfilling the purpose for which God left us here, and that is to win the lost. Lot's an illustration of this principle. Is he not? What did he do? First, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then he moved into Sodom. Before long, Sodom moved into him. And he lost his testimony even with his own family. When judgment fell on Sodom, that's how we know just Lot. Let me tell you how we know. When fire and brimstone came, Lot wasn't touched by the fire, was he? He was saved, yet so as by fire. He was saved, but he had nothing to show for his life. As a matter of fact, he lived out the rest of his days in the cave. And we hear nothing else after that about Lot, because he had nothing to show for his life. It's a picture of a Christian who chooses to fall in love with the world, and then they lose everything they lived their life for. Why did, Paul, why did Lot pitch his tent for, towards Sodom in the first place? Well, because he wanted more than what he had. He wanted the well-watered plains. He didn't care what was there. He didn't care that there was sin uh, present. He didn't care what he had to do to get it. He was willing, listen, he was willing to make the buck. He was willing to sacrifice everything that God told him to stay away from. And before long, not only did he move into Sodom, but Sodom moved into him. He was conformed to it. 
He had no testimony whatsoever, not even with his own family. As a matter of fact, when he told them the judgment that was coming, his own sons-in-laws and daughters laughed at him because he had no testimony. It's the same thing that happens to any Christian that gets conformed to this world. When you start to talk to family and friends about living your life as a Christian, it's laughable because they see how you live your life. And they know that you don't really believe what you're saying because if you did, you would be living your life different than how they're living their lives. And what's sad is when we lose our testimony, then we can't fulfill our purpose. And the Bible says what's going to happen in that day is our works will be tried, the fire of the, I believe, the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he looks on those works, the Bible says they're going to be consumed like wood, hay, and stubble. And we will have nothing to show for what we lived our life for. It was Abraham, the separated believer, the friend of God, who had a greater ministry to the people than Lot did, the friend of the world. Did Lot win anybody by moving into Sodom? But Abraham saved the nation by staying separated from it. You understand Abraham made an impact on thousands of countless thousands of people's lives because he stayed separated from what God told him to say separated from. It's not necessary for, for a Christian to get involved with the world to have a ministry to the world. Jesus was unspotted, and yet he was the friend of publicans and sinners. The best way to minister to the needs of the world is to be pure from the defilement of the world. If I'm going to make an impact, if I'm going to make a difference, wherever I go, if I'm going to have a light that shines before men, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven, I'm going to have to determine to keep myself unspotted from the world. Boy, it's tough to do though, isn't it? Because we live in this world and we have draws and we have temptations, we have this flesh, and it takes discipline in the life of a Christian for us to say no to things that we should say no to. And by the way, don't, don't follow the trap. You think, well, I'll never be able to talk to these people about Jesus if I don't go and do what they're doing. You'll have every opportunity to be used of God in the way He wants to use you if you keep yourself holy as He's holy. And by the way, I'm not talking about just doing a bunch of outward actions. I'm talking about in your heart. The first, peop- first place that people fail is always inward. It's always inward. In their minds, they start thinking about things they should. In their hearts, they start going to places they shouldn't. Before long, they're there. They start flirting with, befriending, following. Be careful the direction in which you pitch your life. When you point your life in a direction, it won't be long before you head that direction. We have to be careful and always checking and be sober-minded about how we live our lives because we're called to pure religion. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to keep ourselves unspotted from this world. So when it, when it comes to sharing the word, it involves speech. I've got to speak up for the Lord, but I also have to watch what I say on the other side because my words can cancel out what what Christ wants to do through me. We've got to bridle our tongue. It involves service. 
I can't serve until I'm qualified to do it. I've got to look in the mirror of the Word of God. I've got to see myself for what I am. I have to confess my sins. I have to be what God says I should be. I have to be obedient as a Christian. I have to see what He wants me to see in my own life before I can see the needs of others. You know what Jesus taught? He said, before you can help your brother take the mote out of his own eye, you've got to take the beam out of yours. You're no good trying to help somebody remove something from their life that you have not been able to remove from your own. It involves speech, it involves service, and it involves separation. The practical truth tonight is that the Word of God must be shared, but if it's to be shared, we've got to follow what the Word of God says we must do in order to share it. And I hope that uh, our desire tonight is to be what God says we should be. If, uh, if the Word of God says it, we ought to do it. If the Word of God speaks it, we ought to listen to it and receive it and practice it. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.